Hello, James. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? You said that you said that so briskly, like someone passing me on the yeah, tube. Hi. Yeah. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. yeah hi. Or someone in an office, at, in an office corridor, which has just made me realise one thing I've noticed about the human race. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to Pop Kitchen. Pull up a seat. This is a, this is a three-hour <laughs> diatribe. Aliens, they built the pyramids. Look, we, we, human race can do many things, wondrous things. We've uncovered the many Smart wonders man. in the world. No, no, right. we, we can do so many things and, 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 and brilliant. And we have come so far. One thing we have not been able to ever rationalize or reconcile or deal with is you, you could be the most smartest person in the world or whatever, it doesn't matter. But if you, let's say you're at work and, and, and you, you and I, let's say you and I, uh, no, Better example. Let's say it's me and my boss at work. Right? We're getting on fire and we're great chat. That's cool. And you think, great, what can go wrong? But we've human beings have never got over what to do when those, that person you've just had a conversation with, you go away and then you walk down a corridor and they're coming the opposite direction oh, yeah. and you're going that direction. And we have not figured out what is the best everyone way. Everyone sees it coming. Interact. Yeah. And you everyone look, knows, yeah. And you either don't interact, you go... <clears throat> You know that yeah. smile, or you go, or you, or you awkwardly try and make a joke. Yeah, but but I find it so interesting because there's, there's like eight seconds sometimes yes. of like, and, and, well, yeah, and you're yeah. on a collision course with each other. There's, there's quite a lot of tension. And there's in a there. pretense of politeness and trying to you, impress people. You could at work. know this person. You could know this person your entire life. Yeah, I know them very well. But suddenly, in the confines of a corridor heading towards you, you are rendered in it's impossible to know if how to you speak saw to your wife of 20 years at the office yeah and I, you'd have the same eight seconds i still believe yeah. you would have the same conundrum of what am i going to react to this one? how I, am i going to react to this typically one? at the office if i can i don't have any tight corridors in the office but like i just i normally just like keep my eyes down mm. but in the sense that i'm like i i do that in a way to indicate to people like it's okay i saw you earlier see i'll see you in a minute yeah we don't need to have as this, long as you're not nasty it's liminal outside space. of that space yeah uh, i i have done no, time, nasty. i have spent times in more formal offices where it was just like hi yeah, oh, yeah. hi yeah. but you know, now i i often turn up to places where i'm on best behavior because i'm there for the day so mm. i'm of course lovely friendly james right. the best version of myself isn't that the, the whole version sure of you, james? yeah but i think if i was there every day sure. you wouldn't get that no but what i also noticed <laughs> when i used to work so when I, I used to work at a popular British supermarket mm. and, uh, you know, shop floor's massive. You could you'd go a whole shift without seeing someone. Yeah. But then the the stairs between the ground floor mm. and the upstairs offices were very narrow. And so you could be having the most amazing chat with someone at lunchtime. Great, I had a great thing. And then two minutes later, you've got to run back upstairs or something. And then you'll pass that person on the stairs. And it's like you've never interacted before and it's like oh, yeah yeah and then there was this one manager who would, who would always make something of it it would, it would always be like george how you doing george and i'd be like i've just spoke to you for half an hour yeah what do you mean george what are we doing george like we what? know each other Stephen. Yeah. um sorry this is a really really niche specific no, opening it, to the show but the thing. I, I, i've always thought about that it's just weird like floor and like human interaction i'm so um london when it comes to people disturbing me on the street in my own time someone's like i don't know any if anyone bothers me my instinct isn't like oh sorry yes what was that how can i help it's what huh and if i don't say it i'm like thinking it and putting out that energy you have to kind of figure it out for yourself here yeah because we've all got we're all trying to every day so i just feel like in the city there are so many distractions and everyone wants your attention that chances are it's like not worth me engaging this is horrible i'm not saying it's correct but like i just have this like what Mm. sorry headphones off huh 
Mm. It's oh, horrible. That's so I, I don't. It's like in my head, yeah, I'm doing it. that. And so I think it manifests mm. in a different way. I think people can tell with my look if I sort of am like, don't. No. No. I'm very you. important. Um, I'm going to a screening at the London <laughs> Film Festival. Good day to you, <laughs> sir. I forgot to tell you about the uh, one of the screenings for the London Film Festival was that when I saw, I think it was The Whale, I sat next to a guy, got chatting. He was in the industry. He was a development guy, mm-hmm. development executive, which was interesting. Chat about that. But he used to work in sound for 12 years. Okay. And uh, I said, oh, did you, you know, do anything big? And he was like, yeah, I was the sound guy on 1917. Oh, wow. And, you know, part of the Big time. That team won the Oscar. And I was like, wow, this is fantastic. It's huge. And I, you know, I really sort of quizzed him on it. <laughs> and um, I said, you know, what's, you know, do you miss him? What it was like on set? But he said this really, really interesting thing. He says, one thing that's great about being a sound guy, by which we mean like, you know, um, you're there with the boom. <laughs> there that, is more to it. But there is yeah. more to it. Yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. is that like, you know, you get everything ready and the actor, uh, the director says, right, we're ready to shoot. And the set clears out, except for the actors, the director, and one of the, I mean, there might be a couple of other people, but one of the few people that stays is the sound guy. Yeah. To, to monitor that. And, you know, you've, it's a very intimate so relationship. You are literally in the eye of the action, mm. the eye of the storm seeing things. And a soundie will, often people are mic'd up mm. and they have private conversations yeah. and they don't realise that. A lot of very respectful soundies will take their headphones off or they mm. will mute them. They'll have a control to mute them. A lot of them don't. Um, and I, I used to, so like when I did TV stuff and you would, as a researcher, you would uh, pretend to be the celebrity on the TV show before they were on there. So everyone would rehearse a conversation yeah. and then you would wear a sticker with celebrity's name on it and you would answer questions as celebrity. And I'd be mic'd up because they would do a rehearsal of this show. Mm. And what I didn't realize and some very kind floor managers reminded me is that like after we've all like stopped... <sighs> be careful what you say because the MCR sound booth might be transmitting. It's all on an open system. So what you're saying could still be transmitting to everyone. And look, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a bitchy guy, but like people in TV having a hard day are often going to be like, oh God, I can't believe this is still going yeah, yeah, on. Yeah. What time is it? I can't believe that happened. So I never did, but it was not to the point where like the floor manager would be like, remember your mic. Right. Okay. And you always had to rely on the soundie oh, being really like very good at turning it down. And a lot of very experienced presenters being like, I'm just going to go for a wee. And it's not because they're trying to tell the whole studio that they're going for a wee. It's so that the soundie yeah. doesn't play the sound of their piss hitting the urinal oh, to the entire oh, room. It's true, yeah. though. It really is. That yeah. is what it's for. That's very interesting. Actually. Yeah. Really yeah, it's a very intimate relationship. And, you know, you're tucking wires. That sounds, imagine confess. what they've seen or, like, the secrets they've kept and the mm. arguments over character that oh, they've, wow. they've kept yeah. to themselves. But he just seems so blasé about it. He was just kind of like, yeah, I did that. Now yeah. I'm in development. I used to make documentaries. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, he didn't stick around for the whale like I did. It really? went directed by Darren Aronofsky. And he was like, up, out. And I was like, you must. What? I, I was like, are you, you clearly are not on the same emotional level I am with He's... this film. So wait, he came into the screening. He watched the entire film. Oh, I see. Sorry. I saw you like before. No, 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 no. Is that that yeah, much? He just came to talk to me, James. <laughs> he watched Mother last night. No, no. <laughs> no, he watched the entirety of the film. And then it closes. And obviously the first Done. thing you see, it goes directed by Darren Aronofsky. And he was like, up. Got his stuff out the door, and I thought, no. <laughs> Even with some of the ones I was less hot on at the, at the festival, I stayed. Yeah, yeah. So we watched. We like to stew in the music and the credits. I, yeah. yeah, I do. I don't like to be c- confronted with the outdoor world. That is your transition time. Yes. to the real world, and I don't like to get my phone out straight away either. You take a breath and you turn to the person you're with. Yeah. And you go, yeah. Wow. I actually, I'm actually not a huge fan of people asking me immediately what I think. Yeah, of the yeah. Film. I agree. I have a friend I who agree. goes, "Well, what do you think?" Then I'm like. It's been five seconds. <laughs> okay. I, it's, Let me Google is, seven reviews yeah. before I get back to you. 
Yeah, let me get to use somebody else's opinion to inform my <laughs> let own. Let me listen to a podcast first, and then I'll tell you what I really think. Right, well, we better get on with this then. This is a... Part deux. Part deux of... Oh, that was very Boris-like. I didn't like that. <laughs> this is a, a part deux oh, don't. of I the... This I know. England. I can't. I know. Um, yeah, so... You guys know the drill. You were here last week. Uh, just if you didn't, uh, we'll do this in the next bit. Yeah, we'll do this in the next bit. Roll B-roll. Roll B-roll. In case you didn't know, this is part two of our London Film Festival episode. Please go back to last week's episode where we were we did reviews of Living. Yes. We did um, White Noise. White Noise and The Whale. Yes. Please go and check that out. It's another full episode with correspondence, reviews, and games. This is part two where yes. we're going to be talking about... Um, Empire of Light, which is Sam Mendes' new film. Uh, the Banshees of Inner Sharon, which is Mark McDonough's new film. And, most hotly anticipated one, Glass Onion, Knives Out 2, right? And if you're listening to this at the time it comes out, these are films for the London Film Festival, which are being pre-released for press earlier than yeah, they're coming way out. Way ahead of time. Just so that all the press, all the reviewers and media contacts can go and see these films ahead of the, uh, ahead of the whole award circuit and what this means is that we've basically been able to see these really early get an impression out you guys can figure out if it's something you're interested in seeing yeah. george has been able to see them while i've been away it's very exciting yeah. and they're out they should be out in some mixture from what like november yeah, december like, uh, banshees is out in a couple of weeks yep. but um uh um empire of light is a bit further on i think maybe january and uh, glass onion is out in like december okay lovely let's do it right Let's kick off with Empire of Light, which is Sam Mendes' new film. So Sam Mendes, of course, director, 1917, Spectre, Skyfall, American Beauty, Revolutionary Road, and much else besides, right? <laughs> Theatre background as well. Um, Empire of Light is uh, a film set in the 1970s Kent seaside. Um, and it's clearly a film... Uh, like a labor of love for Sam Mendes. It's clearly like a love letter to the past, clearly informed by his childhood, I assume. It is not based on any pre-existing story. It's like an original story from him. And it is all about the empire, uh, this uh, cinema in, on, on, literally on the promenade uh, of the sea. This cinema is, the, fil the film begins with um, the cinema being opened in the morning by Olivia Colman's character. And it is this, absolute feat of architecture and I'm, I, I still need, need to work out how much of it is a real building how much of it is a set but it is this what it is just a, a piece of architecture and design it's a marvel to look at it's art deco it's got um uh, flourishes you know two staircases that rise out of the lobby to a second level yes yeah. it's got this great um very well articulated and sharp um concierge you know, meeting point for the, the, the popcorn, uh, sort of concession stands, what I meant to say. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's red velvet, it's, it's gold balustrades. And um, you have this uh, actual screening room, which has got red velvet chairs. And it is very much like, even in the 1970s, we're looking at a thing that is almost like a product of its past. It's got this wonderful neon vertical sign outside. It's got this like defined um, uh, sort of jutting fit. You can tell I work in architecture as a day job, can't you? <laughs> Someone works in architecture comms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and um, it centers on Olivia Coleman's character. Now, Olivia Coleman uh, plays a character. I, I can't remember the, the name of. Uh, I don't know why you're pointing at me. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Olivia Coleman plays Hillary, who is the duty manager of the uh, Empire Cinema. And the film begins with her living her life. It is December 1980. And uh, she is uh, 
on medication. She checks in with her uh, doctor. She is on lithium and she says she feels numb. She feels a bit, her life is stable, but her life is steady and numb, uneventful. And she herself feels quite flat and uninspired. The cinema is kind of uninspired. You've got this kind of trappings of 70s life, which is half charm, like half nostalgia for the past, but also half quite depressing. Mm. Like, can you imagine a picture of the British seaside in the 70s? <laughs> Sorry, 80s. <laughs> um, anyway, um, she's living this life. It's, it's fairly uneventful. Colin Farrell, Colin Firth, excuse me. I do that all the time. Plays the um, general manager who's in charge um, uh, of the entire cinema. And she's got this sort of ragtag bunch of people who work there, you know, who run, you know, the other uh, people at the cinema. And uh, a new person joins, uh, uh, played by uh, Michael Ward, uh, Stephen, who is young, black, charismatic, and incredibly attractive, right? And um, it's very clear as soon as he arrives that Olivia Coleman is drawn to him. He is, like I said, funny. He uh, jokes about the customers behind their back. He... Um, is inquisitive uh, when he's being shown around his first day uh he says oh what's up there because there's no customers allowed and livia says no i can't really show you and he says no no please and they go up and there's this really again from an architectural design point of view wonderful scene where they explore this these sort of upper levels of this cinema which is in a much more dilapidated state Be- beautiful to look at um as i said she quickly you know it's clear that she is quickly drawn to him and attracted to him and i don't think this is a spoiler to say i think but very quickly within the film, a relationship develops between them, okay? And it the film then is sort of about the past and cinema and lost glory of cinema, but also an affection for cinema. But really it's also about, on the one side with Hillary's story, it's about mental health. And on Stephen's, story, uh, Stephen's uh, side, it's about race and racism. You know, this is the 1980s in England we're talking about. So Q skinheads and Doc Martens shouting abuse. Cue mods on scoop uh, on, on on mopeds. Uh, cue uh, stuff in the press about uh, all sort of uh, uh, Thatcherite policies coming through, right? Mentioned in, in a certain way. That's the context of this film. That's what this film is, is, is basically going for. So Empire of Light by Sam Mendes, which unfortunately is pretty weak, I have oh, to say. Despite all of that, it is pretty weak. How come? Unfortunately, it is it's really obvious filmmaking. Like, and, and, and You're making me rethink the words of the trailer in a way that right. now feels slightly so contrived. I think, I think the, just to put the positives out front, um, it's shot by Roger Deakins, of course, who does most Sam Mendes stuff. Beautiful. Immaculately shot, thoughtlessly shot by Roger Deakins. And that really does a lot of the heavy lifting in this because it's just so brilliantly shot. 1917, um, Blade Runner 2049, yeah. endless other classics. You know, he is like the the go-to cinematographer. He's like the top of the mountain, right? Yeah, he's, a, he's like pioneered digital film cinematographer. Uh, it's got music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who always deliver. Um, Olivia Coleman gives a, a, a very committed and very good performance, um, I think. Um, and and Stephen, uh, sorry, Michael Ward equally, uh, sorry, yeah, Michael Ward equally is really charming, charismatic. Everyone is on their best behavior. You know, everyone's turned up Great and done cast. it. Toby Jones is in it. Turns Great up, does it. Oh, Toby Jones is a really good bit of Toby Jones acting. Yeah. Colin Firth's in it. Everyone turns up, does their bit. Fantastic. It's just a shame that when it comes down to the actual writing and the story and the script, it's just so kind of, uh, it, it's contrived and just really unsurprising. Everything that happened in this uh, film, I was like, yeah, I, I think that would happen. And he's going to do that. And, and, 
Mm. You know, when I when I started to realize when you think about that story that I just described to you, it's kind of it is a kind of contrived tale that someone could write at kind of any age or any point in their career. Did you make a comment about who wrote it? Yeah, it's it's Sam Mendes. Wrote Sam it. Mendes. Right. Okay, and right. I and I started to think I sometimes have this thing with Sam Mendes, but like he, I'm, I think he wrote, wrote a certain amount of 1917, right? Yeah, I think and so. I had a similar thing there: the dialogue and the way the characters interact. That was never the strongest part of that film. And yeah, definitely isn't with this one. For example, with Hillary and Stephen's relationship, like you said, it's very clear and evident why Hillary is attracted to Stephen for the reasons I said. But there, but it, I think it really doesn't explore enough why Stephen is attracted to Hillary. Hillary is, I don't know, I don't know how, sorry, I don't know how Olivia Colman is, like mid 40s, I assume, or early 40s, let's say early 40s. Yeah. Stephen is, you know, like 20 probably. Um, it, they really don't provide enough reasons for his his attraction to her before their relationship begins, other than the, so the movie can happen, right? Yeah. You know, um, they don't have any sort of experiences together. There's Actually, they almost show like one scene where they have like an argument and then the next thing you know, they're sort of like, getting together and i'm like no 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 you needed to develop that more about because you've got you've got quite a gap here you've got um a white middle-aged woman and a young black man in the 1980s of england give me something you know think about like just off the top of my head i feel like call me by your name mm. how long it takes for those characters to really pay off pay off and get to that point yeah whereas the the barriers of race and mental illness are overcome like basically immediately so the film can happen it is also i find just again you know it's obvious filmmaking it's obvious that Stephen is is charming and great and all that stuff, but like there's this scene where like, when they go upstairs to look for look at the the sort of more dilapidated parts of the cinema, there's loads of pigeons. And how do we know Stephen is a good guy? Well, he sees a pigeon that's injured and he takes it off the shelf and he goes, "Oh, hey there, buddy!" And he fixes the pigeon's broken wing. And Olivia Coleman looks at him and goes, "Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> he's not so bad after all." And I was like, "Really?" And the story I've described is not on paper isn't uninteresting it could really work but mm. every single beat of this film i just thought yep that is exactly what i thought would happen it's handling of mental illness is i think a li- i'm a little uncertain about it okay i think i think it likes to enjoy the drama that p- portraying mental illness has and olivia common does a you know, yeah, very dramatic performance of it but i don't know if it's in 2022, the best handling of mental illness, other than being like, this film's about mental illness. I'm like, oh yeah, could you elaborate? Well, it's a bit of a box tick. A bit of a box tick. And similarly, I think the, its handling of race and racism is safe and okay. unsurprising. And But that's, I say safe, and not as a good good reason. I think yeah, in 2022, yeah, 2022, if you make a film about race um, and racism, You've really got to be. Absolutely you, challenging. You've got to be doing, doing a lot more than just simply doing the the. Oh, isn't it terrible? School of thing. Racism in this film is just relegated to skinhead shouting at Stephen. To well, they uh, were back uh, then. Uh, yeah, a uh, 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 one punter mouthing off and certain moments of action. But I'm like, you know, the way we talk about race now and the way we discuss it is is so much more complex and advanced, particularly that you know. The, last couple of years that just to present it in this way it just felt really old-fashioned really out of date and it's weird it's like it's almost felt as sort of stuffy and past its best like the cinema itself that it's representing uh. um there's there's actually like an allegory in the in the film that kind of works is that toby jones takes him up to uh uh the, the, the Stephen up to the, pr- the projection booth at one point right the, you know the one mm. and it's and the film 
uh, sorry, Toby Jones' character talks about light and how you know it's there's a flaw in your retina. It's the twenty four frames per second. If I play, I think the film twenty four frames. I think the film wishes it was as light and poetic and cinematic as that description of cinema Mm. is, but unfortunately, it is as mechanical and. cog turning and perfunctory as an actual projectioner you know uh, an actual projector is right because yeah. toby jones character says oh out there it's you know 24 frames per second it's light but in here it's actually like pulleys and cogs and systems i'm like yeah well the, unfortunately the film feels very mechanical to me because i can just see, see the, the plot between the see frames. the plot turning yeah and then this is going to happen and the thing is um it was just a little boring and i was and it was a real shame and i really got the sense that everyone else was kind of in in the same vein too there are moments of wit and humor but i really didn't feel invested and it's such a shame because you've got great talent great talent on screen great actors roger deakins doing stuff but i really i thought it was it was weak it was weak and i don't think it'll wash a lot of people some people i think will be fine with it i i, I think it, it, if you're if you're being very kind i think it's it's perfectly fine but i just think this isn't a very new story you know we talked last week about living right which yeah. is like when I told it to you, you, were like, oh, I bet I could see where this story goes. And the same way when I'm telling you about Empire Light, you could see where the story goes. But Living did something interesting with it. This does pretty much exactly... How you think the film will go is pretty much how the film will go. Do you think Sam Mendes is a bit overrated? Or is that a very reductive thing it, to be putting on someone? Because I feel like you are a little bit cold on Sam Mendes. Because I think... I agree with your criticism of 1917 in that I think Sorry. some of the weakest parts of it was maybe its dialogue and what it did with trying to make it a one-shot yeah. spectacle was all very well and it swelled at the end, but actually there wasn't so much original about it. It's a good question. And then going, I don't... going back, you go into James Bond <sighs> yeah. territory and then... Well, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I don't want to be like as reductive or bad no. to say, is he good or bad? And also, Sam Mendes knows much more about filmmaking than I do. Okay, yeah. that's... I'm asking evident. a question yeah. to, to, yeah. To, to, to set me up. <laughs> yeah. Thing is, okay, let's go back. So 1917, yeah, you basically said what my issues were with that. Bond, he was working with an established property, so he was kind of... One good, one bad. He had, he had a good toy box to play with. Revolution in the Road, I haven't seen, but he's working from good I like source text, right? Um, and then before that, all I can think of is American Beauty, which I've only seen once, okay? Yeah, what else did he do between that? He must have done a bunch of things. Anyway, but I, do, I, I did come away with this thinking, you can direct and you can assemble a great team of talent, but I just don't know if writing is the thing that comes, is Sam Mendes' strong suit. Interesting. Did, I... I, I, I Mm. I was really looking forward to Empire of Light and that trailer and the moments he talked about really kind of got me going and it yeah. set me, and I, I looked at the talent and the cinematographer and all the things you mentioned and I'm a little bit disappointed to see that it doesn't really... I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, it, it has all those things in it, but that's interesting for about 10 minutes. Mm. Like, like I said, when I said the film opens with the lights of the cinema being turned on and all that stuff, and I was like, that kind of is exactly how I thought the film would begin. Everything you yeah. think is going to happen is in there good stuff i just found it it could have been so much better um i'm 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 kind of i hope it doesn't uh uh hypnotize some people in the way that like just because it's about the love of cinema it means to be like oh you have to celebrate this film it's lovely i i I think i think it could have been a lot a lot better well there you go guys that was george's opinion on empire of light if you are listening to this and you have seen Empire of Light, please get back to us and write into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We would love to hear your thoughts. And guys, it might be a while. It's got a release date of the 13th of January, 2023. Oh, okay, yeah. But when it comes out, 
James will go see it and we'll yes. do a spoiler discussion about it. To the it. future you who has seen it, yes. please write it. George, if you're watching this, <laughs> we should still be alive in <laughs> the nuclear bunker. Yeah, go, go watch it. Get, tell me, get, I'd, I'd love to be told that I'm wrong, that I was in a bad mood. Always. We'd always love to hear you know, opposing views to us. I was disappointed. Thank you very much. So a film that's coming out in a couple of weeks, which I'm hearing a lot of good buzz for. I've seen some people similar in your position who have had a chance to see it. I saw some people put on their Instagram, this is one of the best things I've seen mm. this year so far. So I'm very curious to hear. This is The Banshees of Inner Sheeran. Inner Sheeran. Inner Sheeran, thank yep. you. The new Martin McDonough film. George, you have seen it. I have, okay. How is it? So look, The Banshees of Inner Sheeran. So Martin McDonough directed in Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, and Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Even though on the poster it says from the director of Three Billboards. I'm like, okay, you're not gonna put the last yeah. one. Um, and it reunites Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson who were together so fantastically in In Bruges I like him do you like In Bruges yes I think Seven Psychopaths Uh, I haven't seen Seven Psychopaths Three Billboards Uh, I liked Three Billboards but I didn't people were going on about it it was a classic Oscar buzz film I was like yeah it's okay also (laughs) I think I should say I've mentioned Three Billboards quite a few times as a film that I like didn't really connect with but it's coming up to nearly five years since I saw that film. What? Is that so five years old? I came out in 20, early 2018. So I'm probably due a rewatch soon, guys. So I might change my opinion. Okay. Anyway, which brings us to his new film, The Banshees of Inner Sharon. It's an original story um, set in uh, a fictional island off the coast of Ireland in 1923. Yep. Um, it is rural, remote, not a lot happening. Not a lot of people. Small community. Windy, cloudy, Windy, wet cloudy, grass. Very beautiful and a little bit bleak. Yeah. The film begins with Colin Farrell's character, uh, Padraig, walking down to Brendan Gleeson, who plays Colm, walking down to his, his, uh, his, his, his what, cottage, thank you, um, knocking on the door and saying, you coming for a drink then, you know? And it's, it's evident that like, that's what they do every day. And Brendan Gleeson just ignores him. And he goes, oh, this is very strange. And he like knocks on the window and he goes back up to the pub and he says, oh, I think you think you ignored me. He's like, what, what, did you, have you been rowing? Did you want to check on it? He goes, oh, okay, go back down. And he knocks him again. Anyway, very soon, Brendan Gleeson just says to him, listen, I don't want to talk to you. I don't like you. That's it. We're not going to hang out anymore. It's, it's, and it's, it's quite over. an intriguing mystery. It sets very up the trailer of like, yeah. what the hell has yeah. happened in this very like small stakes exactly. environment, right? Um, so Patrick lives with his sister um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a cottage. And there's the, basically the locations for this film are the, the harbour area where goods get delivered to the post office, the cottage where Patrick lives, the uh, Colm's cottage by the beach, and the pub. What, what year? What time? What time 1923. Okay, all right. Right? Across the bay, uh, cannons fire uh, in the Civil War, okay? And uh, this is just after, so it's 1922, so it's just after um, the deunification of Ireland, right? Right, right but yeah. yeah. Um, just trying to contextualize this a little bit. Um, anyway, so it's, it's got this very mysterious setup. Um, Kerry Condon plays his uh, sister. She would, it's probably not familiar to most. TV's gone, it's fine, as you are. Our TV's gone. Kerry Condon plays uh, Patrick's sister. Um, she's played, she's uh, been in Better Call Saul. That's where most people know her from. And it's also got Barry Keoghan, our favourite Barry Keoghan, mm. who basically plays the village idiot. Um, and you have this then very strange tale about friendship. I, I, I would describe The Banshees of Inisherin as a, f- a film about love, hate, and friendship. Okay, <laughs> <Said> hate really <laughs> definitively. Um, You've got this comedic, mysterious premise at its heart, which is like, why isn't Colm talking to Patrick anymore, okay? 
because it infuriates Padraig. He, he just completely sends him into a downward spiral. He just cannot work it out at all. But Padraig is not the sharpest of guys, you know, and he knows that. And everyone looks at him a little bit sympathetically, like, oh, okay, you know. Um, it's clear that his sister is much brighter, much smarter. Their, their parents are uh, long gone. They've got a couple of animals. But she is clearly better suited elsewhere, right? And dreams of a better life. And Colm is widowed and um, clearly hiding some sort of uh, sadness. What I think is interesting about the Banshees of Inner Sharon, and Inner Sharon is the island they live on. Oh, okay. okay. Right. Sorry, I should have explained yeah. that. Is you have this mysterious comedic premise and this sort of tension on the surface of it, which if you're a fan of Martin McDonough, you'll be happy to know that this delves into that kind of black humor that you're, you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Spouts of violence, um, spouts of silliness, and then the odd intellectual music. Martin McDonough, like I talked about with Sam Mendes, then Empire like has a theatrical background. And it's very interesting because when we talked about The Whale last week, mm. which I said is a play, The Banshees of Inner Sharon is, has the tempos very much of a play drama. Small location, few characters, and it's kind of sort of structure and you know an, an intricate concept at, at its heart and but it doesn't play that at all where it's very cinematic and, and changes locations oh, it's in a martin mcdonald play as part of my gcse or a level drama the, the pillow man all oh, right okay yeah anyway um so on the surface you have that really interesting thing and you know watching colin farrell and brendan gleason spark off each other is always fun two great performers and it is funny and witty um, but underneath that, what you actually get is a musing that is more philosophical and kind of existential. There is a, you know, a question underneath more about loneliness, isolation, despair, and what it is like and feels like to be living in 1923's Ireland on an island off the coast of Ireland um, when there's nothing happening. Mm. That's the most interesting thing about it. You know, when, I've seen quotes say, oh, shudderingly funny and laugh at love. Like, that's not what Martin McDonough does. I think In Bruges, by Country Mile, is much funnier and, and a lot sharper than this than this film. But it this film still does deliver a good many good few lines. I think some people would probably find it a little slow, particularly in the first half. But and, and I, 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 a couple of times, was thinking, okay, it take, it's taking me a while to warm up into this premise because when you've got something as wacky as that, you almost want it to begin setting off a chain reaction, but it's not. It's more, oh, this thing's happened. So I'm going to walk up the path again and go and speak to this person and sit with them and talk for that like that for a bit. Um, but I wouldn't, I don't really want to change anything about the film because it's so odd in its own way that I think those quiet moments that it have has are really important to getting to that deeper existential level that's in there. Um, like I said, there are moments of like violence that, po- that bleed through that are really effective and really shocking and give it enough edge to keep you going. I think that some people might find it just a little too, a little too slow or a little too uh, implicit. The, the way it ends as well is quite implicit. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if some people say they don't find it a satisfying ending. But I thought about it and the conclusion I came to, I was happy with about the way this film ends. And I'd be, and I'd look, you know, if you go and see it, I'd be happy to talk to you about what I think that ending meant. And I think based on what I'd seen in that film, I was happy with what that ending means. Um, I think if you like Martin McDonough, you're gonna have a good time. I think if you like Colin Farrell and you like Brendan Gleeson, you just want some good acting and some good lines being delivered, you're gonna like it. If you're expecting a rip-roaring, high laugh comedy, no. It's not that kind of film. It's- I think I got that impression yeah, from it. Yeah, it's just fair. It's, 
in the same way I said with the well, like it's a play, but like it's not a play, but it, it kind of is a play. So sit down for you got two hours, buckle up, but you got you got a good time there. And and you know what? I I really think Martin Madonna has made the film you wanted to make, and it's great to see an original story. Um, I think it's much less compromised than uh, Three Billboards. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting curiosity. Uh, do you know what? Bevan, if you're listening, Bevan, I'm, I'm friend so, of the show, Bevan. Friend of the show, Bevan. I'm she is. Just no, she's definitely it. listening because she likes all the Instagram reels. Thank you, Bevan. I would be really interested to know what Bevan uh, thinks of this. So, Bevan is our friend uh, of the is, show, is a fan of the show who's, who's written in and uh, um, Irish listener who wrote in many episodes ago about Irish cinema. Twice now? Yeah, yeah. Confused. Oh, we read it. Didn't we read it? No. Hang on. Back up. Anyway, Bevan's written in twice. Yes, Bevan. Um, who wrote in about Irish cinema and what we thought about it or, and offering great examples that, you know, she, she mm-hmm. looks at. I would like to know what Bevan thinks of this film. Yeah. A film the made Irish by an Anglo-Irish <laughs> uh, writer-director with an Irish cast, filmed in Ireland, made in Ireland, about Ireland. Bevan. And any other listeners out there who happen to be oh, from Ireland, yeah, please yeah, yeah, do. Yeah, no, I'm sure there's more than just Bevan. Bevan is your ambassador <laughs> We now. just know Bevan. <laughs> um, we'd love to, yeah, any Irish listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting curiosity. Yeah. I think it won't be for everyone, but I'm glad Martin McDonough got to make it. And I left and I thought, hmm, that was quite interesting. Nice. Well, Bevan's got her homework. I also am very keen to see it. <laughs> oh, actually, do you know what? Just yeah. one last thing. It got me thinking. I was watching Colin Farrell on this. Great and everything. Great. He's a little tan in this film. And I was like, have you just come oh. back from a month in Thailand shooting been, 13 yeah. Lives? <laughs> in the but, then, but then I got thinking and I was like, this is the third Colin Farrell. Yeah, but he was underwater. Yeah, but not only when he's shooting the scene. You're telling me he didn't go to Copenhagen for a little he's bit. Not, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, this is the third Colin Farrell performance I've seen this year. So he was in this, he was in Thirteen Lives, and he was in ba- the Batman. Mm. And I was thinking about what yeah. three completely different roles these are. The Batman, of course, is like super caricature. That under loads of prosthetics. My God, what are you doing here? But completely works as that character. Very large lifestyle. Oh film. my God, yeah. super stylish, but brilliant yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, performance lost in that role completely, completely lost he's so, enjoying it so much 13 lives it's like the other way he loses himself in being this completely so ordinary ordinary, yeah. ordinary it consultant from like brighton who um, flies out to thailand just a guy you'd sit across from on a train and never think twice yes, about but exactly. even though that's colin farrell exactly just completely sold you yeah and then in this when he's playing Padraig, he's just like he just captures it so well this person who's you know he's not he's not too smart he's not too dumb he's just so fitting in this world but a world away from the realism of what happens in thailand and the the uh, mad fantasy of what happens in the batman good actor what a great actor yeah like just able to completely morph himself to fit whatever style director wants perfect anyway good that was the banshees of enna sharon let us know what you think if you have any impressions of banshees of inner sharon please write into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com just like bevan will um, <laughs> <laughs> i feel really bad if she does no i love her please do bevan or any irish if other. you let us down bevan i will <laughs> yeah. be heartbroken yeah. have opinion please <laughs> for a show that you don't do um, thank you very much before i do the next review i just forgot something i forgot to tell you about with empire oh. with empire of light okay when I went to see it, um, I noticed there was like, it's very interesting going to the press and industry screenings because you see the, sort of the different types. You, know, you can tell some sort of people who are industry because they're usually quite serious and they keep themselves to themselves. But the press um, are kind of people of our generation who are, I guess, like new media, run YouTube channels, Internet run podcasts, stuff. not like Guardian journalists or whatever, okay? But I noticed 
when I went to see Empire of Light, there was this really loud bunch of like what I want to call film frat boys. Okay. Oh. Who were super eager and super keen, super loud in the morning. Oh. I mean, you know, it's 8.30 screening, right? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Did you see that yesterday? I was so good. Look, great to have enthusiasm for cinema <laughs> and stuff. But it was a lot in the morning, okay? Anyway, I digress. We settled down. We watched the film. Like I said, for most of these films, I was very, I was loving the audience because everyone and loves it's a film. film festival audience. You'd yes. expect everyone like, impeccable, is in, behavior, impeccable behavior. Just, I, you know, in a way, I was like, I, this is the dream audience, right? Yeah. There are moments of humour in Empire of Light. Uh, oh, right? they're doing what I think they're right. doing. Like, not that funny. And sometimes also funny, but with a sad undercurrent underneath. Every time there was like a passingly, mildly funny joke, yeah. this one guy in particular would go, Oh, 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 and as if to, just so he could show, it, it, subconsciously, he's basically saying to everyone, I oh, find look it how smart so I am. Funny. I'm finding it so funny. And I was like, Sh- shut the fuck up, man. I don't so care like, that you find it yeah, funny. It's yeah. also not that funny. It made me actually think you're an idiot because you've completely misread the situation. Nothing's that funny. Nothing, Nothing is, is rarely, things are rarely that yes, funny. Yes, yeah. Name something that was that funny. Yeah, and I'm had, not miserable. you had to explain like loud that. enough and clap to get people's attention. I had the same in, uh, I told you in Thor, Love and Thunder. Yes, the guy yeah. really, he was like, <laughs> It's the clap. Yeah. It's they're not just love. It's the clap. Yes. No one needs the unforgivable. It's not theatre. They don't need to hear it. Also, we all know that the more you laugh, actually, the quieter you get because you can't laugh, right? Yes. You'll yeah, really yeah. find some really funny laughing. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that was just a mild distraction. Anyway, moving on. Right. Next <coughs> film. So James, we've done most of our reviews. Brings us to the last film of the London Film Festival, which is Glass Onion: mm. A Knives Out Tale. Some people refer to it Knives Out too. I might refer to that some a little bit. But anyway, um, so some context about Glass Onion, which had the biggest queue, like I said before. I was just about thing. to ask Everyone about was so keen and so pumped for him. But even it's, when I went to Banshees, for example, somebody was like, oh yeah, on Sunday, it's gonna, we're going to get really early because like Glass Onion, it's going to be really busy. I was like, okay, cool. Go on. You can ask a question? No, well, it's like, well, that's interesting because in my eyes, it's a big Netflix film, like studio film, but it doesn't to me scream like big award season no, buzz. But, Oscar but Oscar I think it's, I think it's a, it's a popular film. Yes. Like, Knives Out was incredibly popular. I mean, a lot of people really liked that, right? Commercially, I think, not and, that we know, but like for Netflix, I think yeah. it did very well. Well, it wasn't a Netflix. Knives Out 1 wasn't a Netflix film. Oh, but it was on Netflix. Maybe now, but when it was released, as a, it wasn't a night. No, no, no. It, it oh. no, no, no. It wasn't released. Oh, okay. as a mind then. Anyway, anyway, I digress. So glass onion. So I'm, so I'm going to go see this. So it's busy packed crowd. I think the thing is to say is that um, uh, I was, I, I was, I think I was a little cooler on Knives Out than most of the people I know are. Yeah. Right. Most people loved it or really, really enjoyed it. Got a lot out of it. <laughs> I like Knives Out one. Don't get me wrong. And it's great cast. I like Ryan Johnson. I, I really like Looper, even though we had a comment on one of our YouTube videos that where somebody was like, oh, Looper wasn't a very good premise or whatever. I was like, I right, but I personally really like that premise. Film. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. Anyway, um, Knives Out 1 didn't work for me because, you know, it's all, it's all about who done it. And I get it. Ryan Johnson wants to be subversive. But what essentially happens in, in Knives Out is that within, in the first 30 minutes, he, he shows you what happens. And I know that's not what happens happens. Yeah. But... He is, for all intents and purposes, it's what happens. And it renders the entire cast they've assembled of all these famous people out of the picture. And, and, and it makes the dramatic threat completely inert so that for the next hour, I just felt like I was just watching stuff happen. And it's only until the last 20 minutes that it goes, ah, bah, 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 bah. actually though, it was this thing. And you go, 
right, that's fine. But for the most part of this film, it didn't give me that whodunit sense of, oh, mystery. Okay. I was just thinking, oh, so it's actually more about whether Anna de Armas can stay out of trouble for something she might have accidentally done. Yeah, right? okay. And like I said, there was a shame because they had a huge cast there. And, and I watched it with my girlfriend and she got to the end and she was like, I never ever... Knives that one. Knives that one. I never ever suspected any of those people as being... Uh, suspects. I know that, and, and I was like, "That's a problem." You're meant to those. It's meant to be misdirection, and and I felt like they were just sort of background to the whole story, which is a shame. However, good Anna Diarmas is in that film, but whatever, fine. I've tried, and I've watched Knives Out twice. Okay, I've tried to give it a good run. Yeah. So going into Knives Out to Glass Onion, and which they they they, I know that Netflix commissioned three of three more of these, didn't they? Oh, really? Did they? Yeah. Okay. Could well, be two more, but I think they want three more Daniel Craig fronting Knives Out films. Okay. Well, so we have Glass Onion, and um. When we went to see it, by the way, of all the screens we went to, it was the one where there were loads of ushers and everyone was saying, phones off in the screening, please. Phones off in the screening. Please put your phones away. I was like, Netflix are really on it. Uh, this clearly film means a lot to them. They've got a lot of money on it. That's fine. No spoilers. And the lights went down and some guy actually came on stage, which doesn't happen at these press screenings. Usually they just begin. Yeah. And the guy says, hi, everyone. We just wanted to say, hope you enjoy the film. But just remember that um, there are loads of surprises in this film more than just who dies and who did it, okay? Everyone deserves a premium, first, organic viewing experience, and we want to preserve that as much as possible. So please, in your reviews and discussions, please do not give away anything that comes out of this film. So who did it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which I agree with, and don't worry, I will not be spoiling now, but that was just an interesting bit of context. So uh, the film begins. So Glass Onion, James. Knives Out (laughs) 2. I had an absolute blast. Oh, I great. absolutely loved it. What I, a great little time. I know. For you. I know. What a, what a, what a twist. <laughs> so, Glass Onion. Let's just give the, the story. It is, um, and I'm going to tell this very, very vaguely and very broadly, just so, because I really don't want to reveal so much. The guy, what I will say is that guy is absolutely right. Yeah. Full of surprises, full of delights. Um, Ryan Johnson is back directing. Ryan, Ryan Johnson, it's his property. It's his, yeah. ri- written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Nice. Um, Daniel Craig returns as Benoit Blanc, the uh, southern... Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc, the uh, oh, southern... Oh, there was going yes, everywhere. Uh, Foghorn Leghorn, uh, cigar-chomping detective, private detective, um, who uh, features in this film alongside a cast that includes Edward Norton, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., um, Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson, thank you. Dave Batista. Um, and that group of people um, are brought together in a in in Greece for this um, warm uh, weekend away. And um, you know, it's a knives out film, so you're gonna get a little bit of murder and a little bit of mystery. And Benoit Blanc is on the case. I'm not going to tell you anything more than that about what happens is. But what I will say is, is that Knives Out 2... I've got to stop calling it that. It's just called Glass Onion, actually. Okay. So Glass Onion. Glass Onion is fun. It is funny. It is so completely aware of its own preposterous silliness. But it also delivers the requisite amount of twists and turns that a good mystery requires. I laughed more than six times in this film. And, you know, I, like we were talking about laughing with Empire of Light. I'm, I'm a bit of a rest and laugh. laugh. I, will, I, will, I, will, I will chuckle. I will titter. But by the end, I was really laughing out loud. Oh, there, that's great. There are good, clever jokes in this, and there are good, dumb jokes in this, which yeah. I really like. Both skill involved for both. Um, 
there, there is so much visual style uh, on display as well that is really witty. So the camera will do things that is it's playful. That is the way I would describe Grass like Glass Onion, actually. Uh, it is so playful. Ryan Johnson is trying so in so many ways to give you a good time. And I really appreciated that. And, and it absolutely works. You've also got the style of these characters. Like Knives Out, the, the first Knives Out, it deals with the super rich, the wealthy. And there is a slight socio-political, socio-economic uh, commentary on the underneath yeah. it. Good. I was like, this is this brand I'm, I'm getting into. This is the Knives Out brand. Benoit Blanc is drummed into a bunch of rich people and meant to solve the case. Cue stylish clothing, cute, wonderful things. Um, yeah, incredibly playful. I would say that if the, the first Knives Out was meant very much about like a whodunit, like a very novelesque, you know, it was about a novel writer. It was felt like a paperback thriller. It was a comment on like, Agatha Christie and stuff. This, I think, is much more like a comment on uh, a puzzle game or uh, uh, like Clue, or Cluedo, as we would say, or, um, and, and operates in that. There is many more um, magic trick box elements, surprising twists and turns, uh, uh, contrived complexity to Glass Onion than, I would say, the first Knives Out. Um, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, I, I, was, I was thinking today, um, and I was chuckling to myself about one particular joke in it that I was like, that was so good. And it was so great seeing it in a cinema with people because, you know, remember this is a Netflix film, so most people are going to watch this at home. Hearing everyone laugh and guffaw mm. and really go with it and not in the... Is it getting... <laughs> I found it so funny. Is but, it getting a limited cinema release? I imagine it will do. This isn't coming out until Christmas, but... Um, I do you had... think it's worth seeing on the big screen if you can? I think or so. Or do you think it's just as fun on the screen? <laughs> It's hard for me to say. I would, yeah. I, I would say just just watch it and go with it. Just if you're going to watch it home over the Christmas period, make sure it's Turn not, not off. Don't distract yourself. Yeah, don't watch it after Christmas dinner when your nan's reading a like crossword or something and keeps <laughs> yeah. interrupting people. Um, I was, I, you know, like I said, I was not part of the Knives Out camp, yeah. and I, I had a really, really good time. It's not that- oh, Janelle Monae is also the uh, also. Oh it. yeah. Um, it sounds like of all the films you've spoken about in this these two episodes, you've been the most glowing about well, this one. It's the, probably subverted your expectations the most. Probably subverted my expectations. Also, like the whale is very good. Yeah. It's not a lot of fun. Sure, yeah. Glass Onion it's is a lot fun of fun. Yeah. I don't think Glass Onion is going to win an Oscar. No, <laughs> no. There's no like career comeback. But your eyes emotional redemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Daniel Craig's really had a rough time. I, th- I think Daniel Craig's wonderful in it. There, like, there are so many charming little elements to it. I, I just can't wait for people to see this. I just, you know, I don't want. Just be careful when this film comes out, what you read and what you see, because I think if any one of those things would have been ruined for me, it really would have diminished it. It, it was so raw and fresh to me. Like, and I've tried not to describe any much more of it. I haven't even told you like the premise of the plot or anything. It's just... I remember seeing a junket and I think it had like eight cast members in it, and, you know, an interviewer. And I remember not really... They couldn't say much about the film for obvious reasons, but what I do remember is all of those cast members talking in a very excited way about the film like they were all really into it really in love with the script mm. and were like genuinely excited yeah. to have other people see it yeah. and i thought oh like they're really into it hopefully that means something and i'm glad to like hear it definitely does so i i came out thinking this is an uh, original film not based on uh, not so rare these days you know it's not it's not based on pre-existing ip i know it's a sequel but come on it's not yeah yeah it's a new thing um made by a director who's just allowed to do what he wants to do, that is so well executed. And Netflix have thrown a lot of money at this, and it, I, I think it's thoroughly paid off. I think it's a great time. I think I think people are going to have a great fun. If you like the first Knives Out, I really think you'll like this. I think it's better. I think it's so much more fun. Uh, um, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> people might uh, prefer the first one. I don't care. 
I loved it. I loved it. Amazing. Yeah. So now we've sort of talked about yeah. all our London Film Festival films. Rank I've only seen one. Yeah. Rank the top five. No, I like, well, like round up. Like, how do you feel about this run of films? Obviously, it's not all the films that are going to be coming yeah, out. So in there, the next there few are a couple months. of big ones that I missed. Um, the Sun, uh, The Wonder, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Was Tar on option? Tar on She said was. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. So there are there are many big ones that I missed. Um, I still think it's a good year. Um, I uh, we said the other day we think it's a good year film. Yeah, already, I mean we still haven't had things there. Had the the Fablemans isn't in there. Uh, I yeah. don't know if that Scorsese picture is coming out anytime soon, but you know, Killers of the Flower. Yeah. Moon. Um, I, I just, for me, the highlights are Glass Onion was an absolute uh, whale of a good time. No, Fun. absolute yeah. great, great blast. The Whale, equally, but for completely different reasons, is very powerful and very removing, and you know something that really needs to be seen to be understood and believed and yeah. commented on. Probably um, deserves a really good spoiler chat with yeah. our audience impressions. And um, all that. Living, it was like this much quieter, much smaller film compared to these big ones, but I found very charming and I had a real soft spot for. Banshees of Inisherin, yeah, interesting, fine. Um, a bit up and down, but like all, all the way there. Just the main disappointment was Empire of Light, I have to say. Um, I, I I I can't wait for you to watch. And White Noise, I enjoyed, but I feel a little bit mixed on right. how structured yeah. it is. That's all I saw. But you know what? In a way, just thinking about um, Glass Onion, it's like I I I want to go. I want to talk to you about it, but I don't want to. I almost don't want to rewatch it because yeah, I I worry that rewatching it on Netflix won't have the same reaction, or watching it in a cinema or something will ruin it for me. But yeah. like, man, I. Um, yeah, you don't, guys, you can relax. You're in safe hands. Well, there you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed our London Film Festival roundup. We did our best to see as many as we could and yes. give you uh, previewed impressions. But as always, we said it a thousand times, when you guys see these films, please do write in because we'd love to just maybe, once I see them or once they start coming out, we want to just keep talking about them, whether or not you think any of these films will be nominated. If you think Brendan Fraser is going to win the best actor, whether or not you hate Glass Onion, please just let us know. Um, Glass Onion is released on the 25th of November. Oh, okay, so, early so, so actually quite soon, uh, next fine. month. But um, like I said, don't read anything more about it. This is the nice. only place you need to come. <laughs> yeah. But like, don't read anything more about it. Just go watch it. Love it. So George, there we go. Those were the two parts of our London Film Festival That's roundup. It. Thank you so much for seeing all of those films. But as always in Pulp Kitchen, we love to hear from... Did you just belch through that? No, I just went, oh, thank you. <laughs> that was me trying to be like, I oh, thank you, I'm tired. Oh, right, from yeah. getting up and watching this film. Well done working. for doing it. Um, as always, we like to have our listeners write into the show. Uh, and you can write in your thoughts, your questions, your concerns to hello at pulpkitchenpodcast.com. Just like Bevan did. Oh, Bevan, Bevan friend the, the show. Bevan, I mean, yeah. you are quick, Bevan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, no, this is obviously a different email yes. from Bevan, who writes in and says, Hi, I've recently recently been loving all of the content lately, especially oh, your 2023 Oscars predictions. Bevan, thank you so much. If you didn't know, we did a whole episode where we went through all the films that could or couldn't be uh, potential winners of the Oscars. Please Some go back and listen to that. Some of which George has now had a chance to see. I've been thinking about classic literature that has been developed into films, some being great and others not so great. I was wondering if you guys had a favourite or one that sticks out most to you. Mine would definitely have to be The Muppet's Christmas Carol. <laughs> it is not only the best adaption of the novel, but is also one of the most detailed adapt adaptations with regards to costume mm. in particular. I was just wondering what you guys thought. Some of my thoughts, lol. Looking forward to the next episode. Best, Bev. Well, sorry, Bev, you've got some homework to do now. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I, haven't, I, I haven't seen a Muppet's Christmas you're Carol. You're joking. No. Oh, it's I, wonderful, I, James. I completely the Muppets has just gone over yeah. me my whole life. Well, I'm the same, really. I haven't seen much of the other stuff. I, I saw Muppets 
the new one with Jason Segel in the cinema. Does, I was like, does it hold fun. up? Christmas Carol. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's so much fun. Oh, okay. I oh, it, do it. It, it's short, really short. It's oh, like 80 great. minutes tops. Oh, fine. Um, we got, I got, we got the album at home. We used to play it during Christmas time. <laughs> As a cold wind blow, it chills you. So you love it. <laughs> um, Marley and Marley, the song, which because obviously in the book it's Jacob Marley, right? But in, in right. this one, it's they got Waldorf and Sattler, the Muppets, and they made them Jacob and Robert Marley. Robert Marley being a Jacob and Bob Marley. And they had this whole scene where they haunt Scrooge and it's like, we're Marley and Marley. Oh, <laughs> avarice and greed. Um, that, I love Muppets Christmas Carol. There's a bit in it where Scrooge goes to go home and the, the door knocker, on his door turns into the face of Robert Marley. And it's done in such a weird, like slightly CG, slightly puppet way that it freaked the bejesus out of me when I was a oh, kid, right? right? Um, also a little detail. So I know it's a bit early to talk about Christmas chat, but it was brought up, right? They say once Halloween is over, it's all uh, fair game. Is it, has this come uh, For marketing, right, not I for, yeah. Um, there's a bit at the end of the film where, oh, Michael Caine plays Scrooge, right? You know that, okay? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, Mr. Cratchit, Bob Cratchit is brilliant. Uh, and there's a bit where he walks past a shop. Sure, loves it. And, uh, I do love it. You yeah, got me going no, now. Um, thank you, Bevan, for bringing this up. There is a shop behind Michael Caine at the end that is called Micklewhite's, which, of course, is a playful reference to the fact that Michael Caine's real name is Morris Micklewhite. Oh, that's cool. Maybe I should watch. I shouldn't just watch the same old thing on repeat for yes. Christmas, and I should just go and watch. Oh, it's a safe bet. That that is a Christmas Eve, maybe four o'clock in the afternoon. Easy. Ah, oh, great. Good, good. There's some good lines in there. It's funny. Lovely. This next one is for um, another friend of sorry, the show. Sorry, hang on a minute. I did actually answer oh, Ben's question about classic oh. adaptations. I don't, I don't think I actually have an answer. Sorry. What was it about? Cla literary adaptations that have been... Uh, I don't have an answer off the top of my head. Sorry, Ben. But I gave yeah, you sorry. the Muppets Christmas <laughs> we, Carol. We gave that's you my gift to you. Uh, now go off and watch the Banshees of Inner Sharon, for God's <laughs> sake. Up. This next one is from another friend of the show, Tabi from South Africa, who oh, writes Tarby. brackets again. Hey. <laughs> he says, hey guys, you continue to send out amazing content Thank almost you. every week and put almost in brackets <laughs> and you make my weeks a lot brighter hang on, Tommy, hang on, hang on. almost okay i would like to think that's almost as in like sometimes you miss we bit, we're a day, you know, late. day late not, but, like, not like it's almost good it's almost every week. It's really off weeks <laughs> and it's like a I'm bracket so sorry to almost. Like, yeah, yeah, almost every week yeah uh tarby has she says i've compiled a short list of actors when you each hear the name of that actor what movie would you say is their magnum opus and then tarby right. very kindly provided the google definition of a magnum opus which is the most important or best work that an artist composer or writer has produced yes and what makes it that was it an example of them flexing their acting chops mm. perhaps the plot and or screenwriting that they were a part of had a profound effect on filmmaking etc okay they may have had many great films but what is the one and or role that stands out above all. I tried to choose actors with an extensive and diverse filmography. I think it'd be interesting to hear. George, we're going to go through these. All right, okay. We'll just do quite quick fire. We'll do a three, two, one. Yeah, and this thing. Ready? First one, three, two, one. Daniel Day Lewis. There will, there be, will blood. be blood. Yeah. Anything that you would say comes close? Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread. What about, are you a fan of uh, Gags in New York? I've. I haven't seen it as an adult. I, I, I think I'm the same. I think I saw it at 18 again for the right. second time, and I think I need to yeah. refresh. Next one, three, two, one. Natalie Portman, Black Swan. The same Black Swan. Yeah. Um, Good in loads, but yeah, Black Swan. Black okay. Swan. Next one, three, two, one. Denzel Washington. Training I would, day? I was going to say training day, and I thought that's probably going to be said. So I'm going to say he's so good in Fences, which is a, not a film right. which I love. I a stagey film. A play very, film. Very play film. It's quite a tiring 
watch. And I, I think it would have been amazing to have seen Denzel Washington and Viola Davis yeah, do yeah, it yeah. on stage. Uh, but he is, he is just an absolute tour de force in that yeah, film. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen a lot of Denzel. I, I haven't seen Training Day in a long time. Me neither. Flight, he's very good at, but I think the film yeah. is really weak. Towards yeah. The end. Um, but uh, yeah, tour de force, I would say Training Day, maybe Fences, yeah. Lovely. Next one, three, two, one, Julianne Moore. Well, I, I think crucially, I, and I don't think you have seen two of like the most, uh, or three, there are three big Julianne Moore performances, which is Safe, the Todd yeah. Haynes film from the, 1995, Far From Heaven, another Todd Haynes film, uh, which is like 1950s melodrama, and The Hours, which is, I don't know, did Todd Haynes do The Hours? I don't know. No, that might have been, Whatever. The Hours as well. Those are three big Julianne Moore performances that I have not seen. Yeah. Okay. What I have seen, I haven't Still even seen, Alice, I haven't yeah. seen Still Alice. <gasps> God. Oh, Julianne Moore's But I regard her very highly. Mm, what if really I... good in a single man. The yeah, Tom Ford one. That. I think, it depends who you ask, isn't it? I think if you said Julianne Moore, most people would say Still Alice, I guess. Do you know what's really hard for me is that Julianne Moore really looks like and reminds me of my mum. So I find Just her a really <laughs> distracting actor and she's brilliant. But yeah. I'm always like, she had something about the manner. And me and my sisters all agree, like, Julianne Moore looks like mum. And like, just. Your mum's not a red. No, head, my mum's not a redhead. But like, their, their face structure is really similar. And they have like ways where my mum's like a bit sad. <laughs> like, and then Julianne Moore's playing something really sad. I'm always like, that's just my mum. Yeah. But it's not Julianne Moore's fault. Yeah. This is a real me issue. Yeah. Oh, she's good say. in the. Uh, she's good in Magnolia. Oh, my God. I had he almost forgotten. This is important. The Hunger Games Catching no, no, no. Fire. <laughs> no, Glass Onion. Oh, is a, no, 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 she's not a glass onion. I just forgot something I got to talk about glass onion. I just mentioned Julianne Moore and Magnolia. In Glass Onion, there is a very specific visual Easter egg reference in someone's costume to Magnolia. Okay. That is not, it's not, you know, hinted at anything. It's just there. And I saw that and I was like, that is Magnolia. And I can't, I'm not going to be any more specific because I want someone to also see it and to let me know if they saw it too. But was, I was there like, like a sense that the rest of the audience members got it or is it too subtle? No, 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 no. no. It's not something that's even like, yeah, talk, yeah. it's just something that's there. Like if you know it, you see it. Right, okay. No, okay. But I saw it and I was like, that has to be deliberate, right? There's no other way that would be there. Okay. It has to be posted. So All right, if look. you see Glass Onion <laughs> Gosh, and you've back. also seen Magnolia and you watch Glass Onion and you go, oh, Magnolia reference. Right in. Let me know. <laughs> well, that was Julianne Moore. Next one. Three, two, one. Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm going to say... I was actually going to say Kathy Fican. Same. Really? Because yeah. he does so much in that. Yeah, he grows and up. And he's young. And he plays He's like, ages. I think he proves himself he is like not just a yeah. sexy heart. Most people would is. say Titanic, but I feel like that's Kate's film. He's <sighs> really good in Romeo and Juliet as well. Aviator. Yeah, I've saw, I saw the aviator. Yeah, yeah, decades ago. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I would say catch that. me though, because you're right. It's like he's doing a lot. In that. He's great Wolf, in Revolutionary uh, Road, Wolf of Wall Street, and Wolf of Wall Street. I, I think a lot of people would say it as a magnum opus piece. That is like a three-hour epic. He is very going good all out or Revenant. No, Revenant's great, but he, I think he's more. Like I think Wolf proving himself in Wolf of Wall Street. I would say Wolf of Wall Street. Catch me if you can. Next, last one. Three, two, one. Tony Collette. Hereditary, probably. Hered Hereditary is the film that immediately comes to mind. Because she's one of those people that's been in loads, 
Catherine Hahn is now doing the roles that Tony Collette used to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I remember uh, Tony Collette is in About a Boy, and that was one of like, the yeah. first times I saw Tony Collette because it was like really a while ago. Yeah. And just like, I, that's always what, when I started seeing Tony Collette in things, yeah. and she became more successful. I'm like, she's the really sad mum in About a Boy. Yeah, really sad. That's um, a great film, About a Boy. I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it in lockdown again. Yeah, it's good. Um, well, one thing actually, sorry about that. Hugh Grant in About a Boy, is do, he said this in an interview. He was like, most people don't think I play the same floppy head git in each one right um and he said but in, what people don't realize in about boy i'm actually doing a very specific north london accent yeah and if you do listen to it he is he doesn't quite sound like the normal hugh grant he is actually trying to sound different interesting and i was like oh you know what fair play rachel um, vice in that as well yes um i've got another name we can throw in okay as, as one Go on. kate blanchett Ooh, because i know what i would say kate blanchett can i say mine yeah go on carol not seen Carol. Oh, whoa, okay. You know what? Now is the time to see Carol. I, it's I a know. wintry Christmas film. It's not a Christmas film. It does the bit of it at Christmas. I feel like Tara's about to be her magnum opus. Sure. She's very good in Carol, though. She's good in everything. But she's quite good. Well, though, Rooney Mara's really good. In, it's mainly her film as well. You should see Carol. I that's know, a good, that's a real, real good one. Anyway. Okay. Toby says, I've got my name to... Tavi says, I've got my notifications on and look forward to the next episode. Best wishes to you both. P.S. Oh. I will never give up on hoping the food will make a comeback. <laughs> Tavi's from South Africa. Thank again. you, Tavi. Thank you. Well, that was almost a good email. No, I'm kidding. That was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this next one is from Oscar who says, hey guys, hope you are both doing well. I've been listening to the podcast for a while now and always come back for the episodes and reviews. You, you know what's nice about us having done 47 episodes of this is that people can say they've been listening for a while. Yes. Like we've done, it's been, a, it's been a, almost a year. Well, it's been over a it's year now. A year. People be like, yeah, it's been a while. We appreciate it. Long time listener, first time writer. I love it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Legacy. <laughs> I was wondering if there's any work from directors you would like to see more of, and what is the top film you would like to see from those directors? I seem to find myself hearing about many directors like Ian Mark Bergman, but find it hard to find his work without spending lots of money on DVDs and Blu-rays. Oh, hang on. Read that again. Wait, the, I was wondering if there was any work from directors you would like to see more of, and uh, what is the top film right. you would like to see from those directors? So, any work from... Is there directors whose work I need to see more of, or directors who would like to do who I would like to do more work? Are the directors who don't make enough films? I think because I think it is because you mentioned Ingmar Bergman. Bergman. I think it it's directors who you need to see, see more, more of the work. work of. We did both a, valid questions. Both valid questions. We should do them both. Yeah. Okay, so of oh, but let me finish email. Uh, I have director Ingmar Bergman, but I find it hard to find his work without spending lots of money on DVDs and Blu-rays. You two do such a fantastic job. Podcast has become a part of my week listening to it when or wherever I am. Keep up the amazing job. Much love, Oscar. Okay, so first off, for the question of work from directors you want to see more of. Oh, right. Okay. Right. So, you, so I need to see more Ingmar Bergman oh, films. Oh, so, so, um, <laughs> this is okay. directors, so, directors whose work you need to see more of. I would say um, Ingmar Bergman. I haven't seen a single. Do you remember Ingmar we Bergman did film. the movie Blind Spots yes. recently? I talked about Akira Kurosawa. Kurosawa, and, uh, go and Bergman, check that out. Um, Kurosawa, Bergman, t oh, uh, um, uh, Tarkovsky. Yes, Tarkovsky. Um, that was it. Probably, for, I've only seen one Fellini. I think if you've seen one, you can what sort of be right Fellini. I, I've I mentioned seen like um, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, it was those ones. Okay, there's, I mean, please there, go back there, and listen to the episode. We should do another blind spot. We could do in, directors, in, in blind another spots. directors in like a few yeah, a few months okay. when it's quieter. And then the one, the other version of that is who is a director <laughs> you want to see make more films? Right. Okay. Right. March. You know what my answer is? I've mentioned it before. Tom Ford. I I love Tom yes. Ford to do another film because I I'm a huge fan of. Um, 
Nocturnal Animals, and I mentioned a single man, which is also good, but I, don't, I think Nocturnal Animals is better. And I remember seeing Nocturnal Animals, and it was just a film that really stuck with me. And I, I put it in one of my favorite scenes when we did some of the best yeah, scenes. Yeah. And I felt like he, in that film, he really found his, uh, his stride as a filmmaker, and he had his own little brand of sort of yeah. beautiful, fashionable, like slightly horrifying, oh, tortured. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, so I, just, I was like, I was just w waiting for him to do something else. And I feel like he's so busy with all of his other ventures, he hasn't done one. And I'm like, desperately yes, waiting yeah. for a Tom Ford trailer to drop. I got one, Richard Iowadi. Oh yeah, yeah. He made Submarine, which was you know yeah. delightful and charming, but also had his own identity. Time. I haven't seen the double, which he made straight afterwards, right? Oh, with Jesse Eisenberg. I have seen the double based off of Dostoevsky. I did see the double, yeah. And then he, you know, he hasn't made another one, and I'm like, Richard was though, quite you out were, there. You were, you were onto something. Yeah, this, we're talking nearly ten years ago. Does now. he? What's he doing now? Is he acting much? He's like part. TV presenter, part uh, game show host, but you know, he does like Travel Man and, and yes. BAFTA hosts the BAFTA. Travel Man, not for a while though. Isn't I think it? he does stuff that, I think he does work that, and I say this respectfully, that is very easy, to, um, that is easier to do when you're raising a family. Ah, oh, I see. So, you know, it's like <laughs> Travel Man, I could do that for X amount of time a year, or, and, uh, you know, host the BAFTAs. It's, it's stuff that pays yeah. well and does well and keeps a high profile, but it's probably more easy to fit around the schedule of bringing up children, whereas I want you to go away and make a film as a two-year All encompassing, commitment. yeah. You yeah. are the director of this film, excuse me. He's um, so great in an interview. He's like impossible yes. to interview because yeah. he just refuses to did like- you, Did you ever watch not... The Souvenir? No, it no. It's, not, it's not great, it's a bit cold, but he in it, he's in that as an actor. Right. He plays a real sort of, he plays a bit of an arsehole in it. Yeah. And he's just this sort of like very, you know, there's this relationship between this young woman and this much older man, not much older, but Tom Burke. But like, she's 20 and he's like 37 or something. And, you know, he's quite wild and a bit of a druggy and, like, she's, you know, young and naive and innocent. And they have a dinner party with Richard Iwadi's character and he's there with his girlfriend. He's very artistic. I think he's got a beret on and he's smoking. And he's just like, yeah, but I'm... See, my thing is I'm just trying to wonder how you two sort of tessellate. <laughs> and it's just the way he like, lingers on that word. Because his comedy, when I watch him on, like, 8 out of 10 Cats, he can be really cutting and unforgiving mm. yeah. to, like, try and get an answer out of him I, I have a feeling that i don't know this but a host will find it really difficult yes. to present round very intelligent very unpredictable intelligent yeah. you don't really know where he's going to take it yeah there you go we don't even answered both Oscar. we answered two questions <laughs> yeah. we made up one for ourselves this one is from molly who says hello lads found your podcast on the suggested bit on spotify hey and what, the suggested podcast bit on spotify what <laughs> Unless this is a ruse, I hope it's not. Yeah. And clicked as soon as I saw it and haven't looked well, back. Thank you this very is a bit much. of a long one. So my apologies. We're on the Spotify recommended page. Um, so I sent you a screenshot the other day of some of our chartable stats. And we are starting to get close to breaking some of like the top 100s. Hey. On We're not there yet on TV In and film. In the UK, the Netherlands and is it Sweden? Yeah, or I think, Australia. I think like the numbers wildly go up and down depending on like who around the world listens. But I'm waiting for our world tour. I feel like you don't really chart until you're top 100 or really top 50. Mm. So if we can get into that top 100 and people just go a podcast and they can see us, yes, we're doing good. Oh, thank you. Well, we're doing and good. you guys do be part of that. But sorry, and if you do find us and you enjoy us, like to star, star us, do all that stuff. Yeah. I'll start off by saying thank you to you both. I have autism and often find it really difficult to start watching new things as I don't like surprise or disruptions to my routine. Since listening to you talk about films, I've started to venture out of my comfort zone and watch more, and by doing so, enjoy more. So thank you. That's really oh, nice to hear. Oh, Something you. to add to your criticism of the MCU. Having autism, I find it very stressful around loud noises as they physically hurt my brain. 
Marvel have been doing sound design pretty awfully from a neurodiverse perspective. Brackets, everyone's autism is different, so I can only speak for myself. Their films and TV shows are distressing to watch as the talking is quiet and the action is super loud. It's super distracting for me, and I can never enjoy the films as they are. I went to see one of the Avenger films and sat the whole time removing and putting back on my ear defenders. I haven't gone back to see one since. Everyone is always surprised when I bring this up as criticism. Do you think filmmakers should be thinking about this when doing sound for their films? There doesn't seem to be a conversation about this outside our community. Thanks again, Molly. Molly, thank you so much for writing that in. Yeah, Molly, what an interesting one. Molly, you, thank you. Yeah, what a great email. Thank you so much. That is, it's always interesting to hear, you know. Something I would never have uh, thought about yes. at all. Um, I think it's a really good question. I, I'm aware that I believe that some cinemas are starting to try and do what I, I guess is referred to as autism-friendly screenings yeah. that take into account, you know, the the needs of the neurodiverse community. But as Molly says, you know, everyone is, is, is different. Um, which also has a point is quite good that cinemas are starting to broaden, you know, they, where they do um, toddler-friendly screenings or yeah, infant-friendly subtitles, etc. Yeah, um, I think it's 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 a really interesting point because obviously, like uh, cinema and spectacle and loud noises are something like that's been associated with cinema for like a hundred years, right? Yeah. It's just and you and I have had conversations about cinemas that don't turn up loud. That's what I was going to say. Um, yeah. So, um, but it's you know it, it's important and interesting for a whole different um, cross section of people that that's problematic i'd be interested to hear about what uh from from a sound because the cinema is a very sort of like uncontrolled environment for you right mm. like it's you can't really set the volume you don't really know but I, i'm interested to know like when you go to watch a film what necessarily you would change to make mm. that more more you know easier experience for you what i will say and what we've both said about some cinema experiences recently mm. is that not neurodiverse perspective i found that sound mixing in cinemas hasn't been perfect no, where the dialogue hasn't been done properly the crashing of a loud noise will yeah. be completely blown out so I, I don't even know if that's something that actually needs to be. That, like, I think I think sound technicians need to properly go and sit down in their in their theaters and go. Hang on, like let's properly sort this out. And, and sound designers as well, right? But that, but the sounds of it. So sound yeah. designers and sound technicians and you're right. When I brought that's also when really, I, really hard to do between like hundreds of theaters of across the country. Well, like standardization. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is difficult. But you want people to go to the cinema. The thing you want people to enjoy it. I mean, I remember when I when I said about Moon Age Daydream, that was like really loud. I mean, yeah. I enjoyed it, but like. If you found loud noise uncomfortable, that would be a real problem. Yeah. Um, it's a, I mean, obviously, we don't, we don't have an answer, but um, it's interesting just to know that every single facet of design yeah. within an intricately designed thing that is a film can be read and experienced by different people in, in an audience group in such a different way. What I can speak more authoritatively on, authoritatively on, Authoritatively, authoritatively, on, authoritatively on is uh, the recent revolution that has been happening for accessibility features in video games where mm. recently so many games have made it like way easier for people who are partially blind who don't have hearing oh, they're using like um a rumble in the controllers and like haptic feedback and they'll mm. like illuminate stuff really brightly on the screen so like collectibles are really easy yeah. to find and it's just been like all these people are now able to experience things they never would have yeah. and i think it would be interesting for films to almost like experiment with new ways of visually highlighting certain things or re refocusing things on characters but as i said like i can't comment on what it is that makes that mm. makes that more more approachable but uh, um great email Molly. thank really you for writing in and there you go that those were all the emails we got this week uh, as always, we absolutely love to hear from our audience. You guys are all amazing. All the regulars, all the new people, all the long-time listeners, first-time writers in. Yeah, please write in your questions, your thoughts, your concerns to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com.
Okay, George, as always, we end Pulp Kitchen with a game. We are back with another round of Guess the Movie Based on the Character. I'm going to quickfire read you a bunch of characters from famous films, and you have to tell me what film they belong to. George, are you ready? Let's go. Ready? You have to guess the film based on the character's name. Okay. In three, two, one. Stifler. Oh, American Pie. Mugatu. Oh, uh, Zoolander. Rizzo. Uh, Grease. Lord Farquaad. Shrek. Detective Alonzo Harris. White Training Day. Ah, White (laughs) Training I've never even seen it. (laughs) Best (laughs) one. You get me. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Terrible. Go on, next. Vesper Lind. Uh, Casino Royale. Gretchen Wiener. Uh, Mean Girls. Yes. Alfred Pennyworth. Batman, any Batman. Danny Ocean. Ocean's Eleven. Anna Scott. Anna Scott. Kind of hard, but if you loved the film, you would know. That's Anna okay. Scott. Notting Hill. Oh, it's kind of what if you do, you love yes, the film, but there you go. Bit, this is harder. It's good. Colonel Kurtz. Apocalypse uh, Now. Last one. Tatiana Romanova. Tatiana Romanova. Is that like... Um, Tatiana. Is that... Um, uh, I chose it because it's a great Black name. Widow. It's no, wait. Fr- is it Black Swan from Russia with love? But you uh, were sort of almost on the right Russian, lines. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, you know, so on my flight recently to the person, it was like five hour flights. So you get screened. It's the person on ahead of me to the right. So like per, my perfect view to passively watch what they're watching. Watched, binged, watched Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen. They wow. didn't get through all of Thirteen, but so they watched Ocean's Eleven, and I'm like, I feel like I've seen them now. Yeah. Like, I guess I've passively yeah, watched seen them. Ocean's 11 no, 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 no. I have. Yeah. I feel like I saw. I feel like yeah. I've rewatched them now. So I'm watching her watch Ocean's Eleven, and then credits roll. And then this recommendation comes up. Would you like to watch Ocean's 12? Immediately <laughs> pressures Ocean's 12. And I'm like, I wonder if this woman's going to do all of them. And so I'm like watching her watch Ocean's 12, like the whole thing. And then I'm like, I'm going to check back on her in two hours. And I'm going to see if she watches Ocean's 13. And sure as wow. shit, credits roll. And it says, would you like to watch Ocean's 13? And she just goes straight into it. Nice. And the Ocean Storms are quite savvy. Yeah. I wouldn't want to watch like... Five and a half hours of no. Oceans films. But yeah, God Crucially, bless her, she, she did didn't, it. She didn't watch Oceans 8. No, but if she <laughs> had did? the time, she would have. Jesus. Uh, well, there you go. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pop Kitchen. Don't forget, no, don't forget we post new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. Thank you so much for, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Um, you know, you know the drill, guys. Instagram and TikTok. Please follow us. Please like us. Give us a thumbs up and um, leave us a review on a, like an Apple podcast or something as yeah, well. Yeah, lots um, of those. We're also on Amazon um, Music Amazon as well. Music now. How do you rate on music, Amazon Music? Is there a rating thing on there? Well, find out. Find it and do it. Um, yeah, we appreciate it, guys. Revalue it. Uh, it means please go and um, give some love to the YouTube. Just go on there and give us a subscribe if you haven't already. It really makes a huge difference. Yeah, thank you. Um, we'll see you next week. See you next week. I hope you enjoyed the London Film Festival. All right, we're out. Thank <laughs> you.